Folks, welcome to the first episode of what I'm going to be calling Newsprint Commando. I'm your host, Ed Moore, and keep in mind there will be spoilers as I talk about the books over the episodes that I'm going to be talking about. This episode is Nexus One, cover dated uh, roughly Thanksgiving ish of 1981. Thank you, Mike's Amazing World. You can find reprints of this at least in the original Nexus, which is the first graphics novel issue number four, dated November 1985, or the Nexus Archives, I believe, volume one, because I believe there's multiple volumes of that from Dark Horse, dated November 2005. Now, after I give all of my thoughts, if you would agree or disagree and would like to tell me, you can do that a variety of ways. I will post the episode on the Teal Productions Facebook page. You can email me at imindieman at gmail.com, spelled just like it sounds, except indie is I-N-D-I-E. Twitter, uh, probably the most reliable, quickest way to get in touch with me, Teal Productions, T-E-A-L. And the website uh, that the episodes will post on, you can leave comments there. That is comicbooknoise slash TNC, Thomas Nancy Christopher. Uh, Thank you, Derek Coward, for allowing me space on the Comic Book Noise Network. I appreciate that very much, good sir. Now, Nexus number one, this is volume one, three-volume issue, came out from Capital Comics. Also, um, let me take a step away from Nexus. What I want to do with this show is talk about books that I want to talk about. Um, Not that I record podcasts talking about books I don't want to talk about, but these are books that I have always been interested in and either read a long time ago or not at all. And there is also some weight as far as the comic book community to a lot of this stuff being uh, important and good. Now, the important part, eh, I don't know. Good, I would have to agree with because, uh, well, not because, but the time frame that these books came out and the creators involved are all very high on my list. My thoughts for what I want to do with this show ultimately is talk about books from companies that were not named Marvel or DC, first of all. Secondly, that came out and were printed on newsprint. Now, that has been around for a very, very long time, so I need to narrow it down a little bit more. Mid to late 1970s to the, uh, let's say, early 90s, probably Malibu. um, Ultraverse would be probably the the end of that run. Um, Starting with those late 70s, early 80 books, case in point, Capital Comics. That's the publisher for this volume of Nexus. And the first six issues, I believe, of the second volume of Nexus, which will go on to be like, I don't know, 80 issues, I think. But uh, it started at Capital Comics, along with a couple other titles. Badger, you may be Whisper, eh, you may not be as familiar with. But those are the three books that I'm going to cover over the course of the first, um, shall we say, season of the show. All of these are the books to the end that Capital Comics published, about 15 individual books, I believe. I'll look at one book per episode. Um, I'm not a, a scholar. I'm not anything, really, other than a guy just making a lot of noise, a lot, or no, I'm sorry, I can't use that. Um, I'm just a dude that just wants to talk comic, okay? Um, these are books that I want to read. Uh, most of these, I probably have not. There will be, I have once many, many years ago interspersed in here, but most of these I have heard my whole life and I have not read. Uh, These first three black and white magazine size issues, the first volume of Nexus, I have not read. I have read many of his color 
volume, which is the next volume, volume two. So this is finally getting me to just sit down and read these because I have to do that in order to talk about them. So it's it's kind of that motivation, you know, when I just want to sit down and just hammer through comic books, I, I read the, um, yeah, uh, no, no adjective here. I read the current DC and Marvel stuff, you know, to just whatever. I I'm, I'm need to quit or I'm just going to start throwing out insulting words. And I don't mean to insult anybody. This this is all my opinion. These books are much better than virtually anything uh, being put out by the main two today. There. That's my opinion and I'll, <laughs> I'll get off that soapbox. Nexus. Mike Barron and Steve Rude. The creator-writer is Mike Barron, the artist, letterer, and colorist, uh, for what it is, of course, being a black and white mag size, is Steve Rude. Now, the cover of this was completely done, ink, colored, drawn, everything, by Mr. Paul Galassi. Paul Galassi was an established uh, known quantity at this time in the comic book industry, uh, having done his fair share of well-received indie and Marvel work, I think, for sure. I'm not sure if at this time he might have already done some DC work by this time also. 1981, November, late 1981. Uh, but point is, he was the known quantity, so he gets the cover. Inside, Mike Barron and Steve Rude, complete unknown, uh, except for their local town in Wisconsin that they did some stuff in, which, oddly enough, is where Capital Comics is located. Or, not oddly, interestingly enough. Um, and I believe, actually, the story goes that uh, Mike Barron approached, or, well, kind of a communal Barron capital approached each other. And I don't, I think maybe someone else was looked for for the art at first, but then Mike Barron knew of Steve Root because they had worked together. I think that's what happened. Um, I could be wrong. Otherwise, when Mike came, he he brought Steve with him. So, either way, it's, it's both of their first professional works. Steve Rude, um, actually, I think I just saw in the news that Steve Rude has some new Ecstatics Marvel Mutant stuff coming out here at the beginning part of next year, 2022, or this year, 2022, depending on when I release these episodes. So um, pardon me if I sound a little weird. One of our cats just jumped up here with me, and I'm trying not to be mean to her, but not let her interfere here too much. Her name is Aubrey. She's a very short tail, very fluffy cat. Only about a year and a half old, as is her brother, who is wherever her brother. Okay, so um, there we go. Some some other creatives here to speak of. We have Jesse Kaysen with a lettering assist, Sharon Von Slyes with a coloring assist, and Richard Bruning with graphic designing. Uh, any of those names that I did not pronounce uh, correctly, I apologize. John Davis, Richard Bruning, and Milton Gripe are in the administrative offices as well. Just to throw that out there, Capital Comics is brand new at this point. This is the very first thing that they have released. Front cover is a full color of Nexus, we will assume, being as that it is the title of the book. He has one arm around a female, which I'm going to throw out there is perhaps Sundra Peel character we meet later on in the second chapter of this book. Uh, the first issue has three chapters, by the way. Nexus is holding her releasing energy uh, in a in a burst upwards while they are being surrounded by rather militant looking dudes all holding personal firearms to try to detain them or detain him at the very least. Inside front cover has a little welcome letter here with all of the indicia information and the uh, pertinent people involved. First pseudo page of story. We have multiple panels taken directly from panels or portions of panels from the book. The middle, it, it's a it's a ring around the page, and in the middle, the panel says uh, Nexus Number One by Mike Barron and Steve Root, Capital Comic. Now, several 
Uh, let me look through here. A couple, yeah, a couple of these panels kind of piqued my interest when I saw them. First story page, top right. History makes us some amends for the shortness of life. Attributed to Philip Skelton, Irish divine. I'm, I'm assuming Irish divine is the piece of work that that quote appeared in. Earth year 2481, which is about 500 years from when the book was published. The moon Ilum, and it's spelled Y-L-U-M. Island. Now, this is a full-page spread with a couple small inset panels down near the bottom, but it is of the moon and a planet. Nexus is drawn kind of as a shadow in white because we are looking out at the vastness of dark space uh, pinpointed by white stars and other celestial bodies. The two panels, uh, inset panels, are of a gentleman floating in some sort of fluid, one would assume, um, in an hourglass-shaped device. Deep beneath Ilum's lifeless gray-scabbed surface suspended in chemical nutrient bath, so yes, it is a liquid, a man floats, sleeping and dreaming. He does not dream of the tenderness of women he has known. He dreams of another place, another time. He dreams of history. Next page, he dreams of Earth, and we're told by the narrator that the year is 2461. We're at the national headquarters of the Paraguayan State Security Police. A prison, actually, a prison and worse. We're introduced to Colonel Hector Gonzalez y Vega, who is the director. We walk into a cell of this prison. We see a man chained to the wall. The colonel um, is indicating to the man that he is being held because he was attempting to start a trade union amongst the textile workers. And to show him that is bad, the colonel takes the cigar he is smoking and puts it out in the gentleman's eye. Um, I think we can call that torture along with uh, or right after that as they're leaving because apparently that was all he wanted to do is just put out a cigar, right? So he thought he would do it with one of his, one of his captives there prisoners. As they're walking away, the colonel, holding a riding crop, and, and I'll get back to this here momentarily, holding a riding crop tells his number two uh, to take this gentleman and throw him in with the rest of the slaves. However, his wife, keep his wife, put her in the women's house of detention, but don't kill her. See that she is not killed because, and then he indicates that she will become part of a reward system for the male officers. Uh, enough said. Now, interesting to me was the uh, stereotypical South American communist fascist state of everything here. The outfits, the way they're acting, why this person has been imprisoned, the fact dude has a riding crop that he's walking around with. Maybe he does ride horses. Maybe he just got off of a horse when he got there. That was his transportation. I don't know. But it makes me wonder. I definitely think I see some allusions to uh, Mr. Fidel Castro of this era, 1981. Also, perhaps there's a little bit of a Haitian, I believe Haitian dictator who was named uh, Papa Doc uh, thrown in here as well. Next, we are in a corridor near the chemical bath, so we go back to where we saw the gentleman in, in the bath, and there's a couple guys sparring. We find out that this is Giz and Dave, and I will pronounce it Giz because it's a G-I-Z. Hard G because soft G just sounds very yucky here, so I'll go with Giz. Gentleman comes out uh, dripping 
indicates to them, get the cruiser ready. See that my costume is laid out and pressed. He's talking to one of them. Um, I'm not sure who it is. I'm going to assume maybe it was Dave. Dave is maybe his manservant or his valet or just somebody that takes his orders. I don't know. As this gentleman goes walking, Giz catches up with him, refers to him as Nexus. So here we have our protagonist of the book trying to get Nexus to do something about two million people that Giz is aware of that has been killed by an individual. Nexus tells him that I am not interested in your petty vengeance. I offer sanctuary and perhaps the chance to dream your own dreams. That is all. Uh, now, given some things that I know about the character and what happens later on, even in this story, uh, the fact that he's telling someone he is not interested in their petty vengeance is um, condescending, but kind of kind of curious. Dave catches up and holds Giz back. You know, come on, dog, let's let's go ahead and do with the costume and everything like that. All right, the next panel is is interesting to me because it's a uh, I believe it's it's a quasi religious, uh, perhaps directly Christian motif. We see Nexus, who is now dressed in his uh, we'll call it uniform. Uh, it's a full body uniform. Everything is covered except the fingers from the palm uh, from where they extend from the hand out um, all the way down his arms. Uh, the only portion of his face exposed is that from the lower nose to the chin, from ear to ear. You know, just the kind of like Batman. The exposed mouth. He does have like some sort of looks like harder uh, glasses or eyepiece covering on. The uniform comes over his head uh, like a bodysuit. Um, who have I seen wear that? Swimmers, uh, uh, cyclists, I believe. Competitive cyclists wear bodysuits like this. Boots all the way up to his mid thigh. So the bottom part of the uniform probably extends down to his feet to hold it down. So. He's dressed in his uniform. He is kneeling, uh, one knee down, one knee up, head bowed onto a praying or a supplicant position in a beam of light. Uh, there's a circle on the floor, and either it is beaming on him or he has walked to where this beam is. We don't know. But either way, he is kneeling in a beam of light that extends upwards off of the panel. There are three, uh, we'll assume, windows shown also in this room, and they strike me as being of a religious uh, church design. So he is in some sort of uh, church edifice, religious edifice here in his um, headquarters, uh, we'll call it, here in his home base, whatever. Next panel, uh, two quotes, one from Madame Swetchine, a Russian mystic. Somebody look her up, see if she existed for me. I, I didn't do that. Strength alone knows conflict. Weakness is below even defeat and is born vanquished. The other quote, Benjamin Franklin. Somebody look... No, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I know Benjamin Franklin. Let everyone ascertain his special calling and then stick to it if he would be successful. Okay, those are the quotes. The visual is Nexus walking through a... Um, a, a hallway, a, um, yeah, the word is absolutely escaping me. Gauntlet of people, arm, one, one arm extended almost in a, in a fascisty Hitlery salute type, but not as rigid, just, you know, power to the next kind of salute. Um, and if somebody is offended by that, I, uh, well, they're cheering for him. They're giving him positive vibes, positive feels, whatever it is. We don't 
see anything from them vocally, but I assume that's what they're doing. Because if they're just standing there in this gauntlet, people on either side as he walks down the middle with raised fist and there is no sound, that is pretty damn weird. So, 100 billion beings do not know that Nexus has left his sanctuary beneath the lifeless, gray-scabbed surface of the moon Ilum, but they will as we see a spaceship jet off into space. Narrator tells us 20 years after fleeing his crimes in Paraguay, Colonel Gonzalez y Vega has come to the planet Constantinau, and it's here that he leads a new life with a new wife and a different name. They are, he, he, this is a celebratory dinner, uh, a very highfalutin. We're also told that they are at the Pinnacle, which is the best hotel in the world, uh, the world of Constantinau. Laughing, jovially smoking cigars, drinking wine, toasting when the uh, maitre d' or perhaps just a server comes up and asks if the colonel would like a bottle of Chablis, a unanimously given bottle of wine. It's a very specific vintage. Dom Dominguez from Paraguayan Grapes 2461, he is told, at which point the colonel chokes on his wine. As he is choking, someone yells from off-panel, run, and we see the Stuff hit the fan. Harry, you and Bruno go up the hall. Stop the confusion from reaching us, the colonel orders. Here in the panel, someone yells, it's Nexus. Nexus is here. And we have a panel of the colonel being very uh, concerned. He says there's no place of safety from Nexus. As just part of the general what's going on, he's not really conversing to anyone. I guess he's saying that to himself. Enough, he yells. Wilmer, Dietrich, take Felice out of here. Guard her with your lives. Felice, I'm assuming, is his new wife. He then tells Edwin and Theodore, blast the corridor. Stop anything that moves if it means destroying the building. And they do. They fire a missile through a uh, into a large hallway that is doorless, we find, on both ends. But there's an individual that, that shrugs the missile away, sends it humming back at them. Also, uh, in a great nimbus of energy and light. The two gentlemen that just fired the missile are thrown back. The colonel himself is close enough to have been thrown back onto a table. Full page panel, Colonel Gonzalez y Vega, I have come for you, Nexus tells us. And he is standing, uh, feet spread, left hand pointing at the colonel in the gun symbol, thumb up, forefinger extended. The right hand is clawed, fingers facing upward with a nimbus of energy coalescing, gaining momentum as he is going to throw or or beam it out. Someone tries to attack him from behind, Nexus, but with a swat of his hand not touching the individual, he sends them uh, careening off a nearby wall. The colonel's wife, broken free, runs back into the room screaming, No, stop. It's a terrible mistake. Please. And she steps between Nexus and the colonel, and the, the beam of energy that he releases actively moves around her, we see, at right angles, to avoid her but strike the colonel. Is the energy intelligent, or does he have intelligent control over the energy What it, once it's released? I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. Maybe not. Is it important? I don't know. It's kind of cool, though. He's walking away now, Nexus, with the smoking body of the colonel on the floor, his wife weeping over him. Why? He did no great evil. He was a good man. But Nexus does find it necessary to stop, and he looks over his shoulder and says, I could convince you otherwise, but turns and continues down the hallway, throwing back at her, but it would serve no purpose. We see him approaching the other end of this wide open hallway. Um, he has been to the open room at one end. This open room at the other end now is completely filled with soldiers, 
and and men bearing weapons and firearms and what have you, waiting for him to get in range. When he does, they just unleash nothing touches nothing at all gets through whatever protective energy he seems to be surrounded with a mater d or the mater d runs in telling everyone to stop shooting and is going to give nexus a bill for the damages nexus just tells him you know send it to me i'll pay it and here interesting question the mater d asks that's not good enough great nexus great in quote tell me who made you judge jury and executioner who made you god and this brings up an interesting point right off the bat that um, i find has a curious answer he says i do not pretend nexus says i do not pretend to judge my visits have nothing to do with vengeance what i do i do because i must i act in self-defense okay i find that to be a rather spacious specious argument so not spacious specious. he does not dream of the tenderness of women he dreams of history he wakes to nightmares End of chapter one. Chapter two here starts with a montage of panels from the previous chapter. And this is some time later. There's a ship approaching Ilum uh, that is told to stop because it does not have permission to land. The pilot indicates that she is Sundra Peel, Baffin Information Access System, request permission to land. Permission denied. She says, I only have 14 hours of oxygen left. Nexus, who is at the command here of entry, says, very well, access your landing computer. So she lands and gets out and indicates that she's a news reporter and she wants to find out about Nexus, who he is and why he is and, you know, things of that nature. And he says, well, that's that's cool. As soon as you get your oxygen back up, you can leave. She says, no, no, uh, I'll, I'll be staying. And he says, OK, whatever you want. Hey, dude. Find her a place to stay. He goes back to the control room and finds that now there is a solar storm. So she won't be able to leave even when her ship is replenished until the storm passes. She asks for an interview. Nexus says no. And we run into Dave again. Find out that Dave is from Thune. And so Dave takes the opportunity. Or she, um, well, she doesn't really ask him for his story. But he gives her a story. Uh, that is, after all, why she's there. And we find out that he was on a planet, worked in a factory making bison, and that the racial purity party took over not just the factory, but the world itself. Inferior races were forced to wear special marking. Uh, then they began gathering up all the thunes that had seven digits because in order to make the bicycles, you needed eight. Now, apparently Dave had seven because he was caught up in that. Went to prison, which also was in the factory. They had turned a portion of the factory into a prison. Must be a big factory. They must have made a lot of bicycles. One day he's called to um, do something as far as uh, the manufacturing of the bicycle. He has moved into a position of, of uh, authority and he refuses to do it. And they take and here, I'm sorry, they throw him into prison because of that. Couple color spreads here, um, poster size. Well, not poster size, but double magazine page size pull out. Things get worse at the factory. Things get worse for Dave until finally he meets the new person in charge, and it turns out to be a human. Now, Nexus is human. The first person that we saw him execute, Nexus execute, is human. This leader who is, you know, being propped to be the bad guy is human. So all the bad people so far, well, Nexus are human. All the violent people, well, we'll put it that way, have been human so far. So the uh, person in charge here, this human who we never really get a name, um, he needs Dave's help 
in upping the production of the factory because many, if not all, of the workers are Thune and Davis Thune. And so, you know, basically he's asking him to turn on his people to uh, to help out the man. Well, Dave spits in the eye there and he gets thrown back out in prison or back into prison and just... Um, goes through his days being in a cell, working in a factory, being working in a coal mine. Yeah. Um, until one day Nexus arrives and saves him by killing the uh, HMFIC here. Dave then indicates that, um, hey, can I go with you? And Nexus says, well, probably not, but either way, I don't care. And Dave tells him, well, but neither I nor any of these people have anywhere to go. And so... That, I guess, is the acknowledgement of where these people that are on Ilum uh, are from. They are all refugees of... They, they are free peoples of those that Nexus has assassinated. I'll, I'll assume that that's, that's ultimately what we're being told. So that's, uh, you know, Sandra's like, oh, well, that's cool. What about Nexus? And somebody over here says... Um, He'll not arm us. He'll not lead us. He'll not share his dreams with us as to why they're there, what they're doing, which she posed to Dave, uh, this other person, this third party overheard. And Sundra latches onto his dreams. Dave tells her, it's the dreams that give him the power. Now, that, that's an interesting comment that I want, to, uh, I want to continue to watch for and look into. It's the dreams that send him forth, which having read about this character in some interviews and things like that, I, I do understand that. What do you know about these dreams, she asks, and he says, I have said enough. So she goes around for the next four days, we're told by the narrator, interviewing people until um, on the fifth day, the solar flares have subsided. Uh, we know for sure because another ship has approached Ilum and this ship wants to land. Their answer to who are you, what do you want, is that we can give you surcease from your dream, which is instantly gets his attention. Um, Nexus orders Dave to escort Sundra out of the control room so she can't hear the rest of the conversation. And he attempts to converse with the people on the ship. Three people beam down. Two of them... Uh, no, or let's see. All three of them, maybe? I believe I'll, I'll just take that shot and say all three of them are humanoid. One is Suta Leberk. S-U-T-T-A, first name, lowercase L-E, capital B-E-R-Q, Suta LeBurk. And they come down dressed uh, rather militantly. Uh, they do have weapons, maybe a sword, some sort of uh, energy prod, a pistol, armor on, uh, face coverings and stuff. So that is the end of Chapter 2. Chapter 3, we are told that they come because they offer to give Nexus a break from his dreams via a piece of equipment that one of these three men have put together. And I'll run into what they call it here in a minute. But in return, what they want is they need him to kill Zypher Mird, the supreme dictator of the Hassian Republic. And Giz, um, I believe, yeah, Giz and several of the other age know this person to be at least of the metal uh, that he has described here. His savage, savagery is almost as widely known as your swift justice, uh, LeBurk tells next. So several of the aliens are in the room or near the room, and they start uh, crying out about the vengeance that 
should be uh, meted out on this person. Nexus slams his fist on the table and yells silence, telling them, this is not the Roman Colosseum and I am not a gladiator. And the next panel is these three individuals much quieted with a look on their face. So uh, here we go. This is a developed a machine. Haig is my engineer. Haig will explain. We have developed a technique based on Johnson's thought chair. So that's that's what it's supposed to be. So it's supposed to give him a break from his dreams. Now, dreams. Um, apparently, at this point, Nexus dreams at night. Uh, my take on it is all night, every night. Uh, these dreams are apparently given to him by we don't know. And, and this is just me uh, throwing this out there. I don't know for sure most of what I am about to say. I certainly don't know what I'm about to say based on this first issue. But my little bit of research. Um, the dreams tell Nexus who his target is for his next assassination. The person is always the person in charge of causing great harm to many people. Uh, whether it's the leader of something, uh, military, religious, governmental, a um, person in charge that does a group of people wrongly or something. But it's it's got to be a lot of people pretty bad. And the dreams occur night after night after night. And every time they occur, uh, he feels physically more and more the dream until finally he's actually in pain every time he has the dream. And at some point, when he no longer wants to deal with the pain, he decides that he will then go and kill this person. Relieving himself of that dream and another dream at some point in the very near future starts up again. Now, that is my very basic understanding. Perhaps that will change as I read these books. So if I'm wrong, don't at me yet. I still need to finish the first volume of the book. So now, um, Nexus has dismissed the LeBurk, uh entourage, and he is talking first with Dave and then with Sundra as to what he should do. The book basically ends, um, Sundra is doing some research, and the book basically ends with Nexus popping up in uniform saying that he has decided to accept the offer of uh, assassinating this person in return for usage of this dream-freeing chair. We see also that Sundra is doing research and filing reports. I don't know if the reports are leaving Ilum but she is filing reports on a little handheld device. She's in a great hall filled with strange and beautiful artifacts. And there's a picture here, and underneath it's labeled Theodore Hellpop. And she does some research on Theodore Hellpop and finds that he is the butcher of Vradic. Um, I believe, if I recall from history, that Nexus is Horatio Hellpop. So I guess that's going to be his dad, who was a dictator of his own right. Hmm. The book finishes with um, maps of the fortress, the complex that is here on Ilum. Many levels, many rooms, all underground. And then pinups of Sandra Peel of Nexus under attack. Some bios of the creatives, Paul Galassi, Mike Barron, and Steve the Dude Rude. Ordering information from Nexus is included, and even though Capital Comics is a distributor, they don't want you to order the books directly from them. They rather you go through Westfield Comics to get this issue and an issue like this signed by Paul Galassi, Steve Rude, and Mike Barron. Now, the regular price is $1.95. You can get that signed issue for only $5, but hurry, there's only 500 of them. So $5 for a Paul Galassi, Steve Root, Mike Barron signed comics. I think that's a pretty dang good bargain there. Uh, 
back panel, uh, full color Nexus. Um, yeah, doing some Nexusy stuff with his Nexus labeled spaceship here. It's got a big N on the bottom of it and several on the wings. It's got lightning bolts, much like the chest of his uniform. And I don't necessarily recognize. Yeah, I do. Steve Rude is the artist for this one. So it's Paul Galassi on the front and Steve Rude on the back. And that is, I believe, pretty much everything about the first issue. Um, looking at my notes here, there's nothing really else that I indicated. So there we go, guys. That's the first issue of what I want to cover, the first episode of the coverage. I apologize. I am quite rusty when it comes to this solo podcasting thing. It's probably been, uh, I don't know, anywhere from a year and a half to two years since I actually sat down and did this. So I apologize for the rust. I apologize for my personal interruption. I apologize, but not really for my cat jumping up because to me, that's just kind of cute that she wants to be a part of me sitting here talking. So next issue next episode next issue will be nexus uh, number two which is was published roughly the quarter after so i think it was published and i didn't look this up unfortunately sorry uh published sometime around february march i believe of 82 is when the next issue comes out the next episode of this i don't know uh how frequently i am putting these in the can to publish and i'm not haven't decided completely what i want to do um at the soonest they will be weekly at the farthest apart they will be once a month uh which way i'm going to go with that right now i'm actually not 100 percent sure but you'll find out soon after i find out but either way i'll talk to you guys next time ciao